All right, we're back with another episode of the Disciples Made podcast. Woo! I won't do that. That was a pretty good radio voice, though. That was good. Welcome. <laughs> Our job is to help you win. The destination is I will be a disciple who can make disciples. We got to watch people see themselves as world changers. All right, we're back with another episode of the Disciples Made podcast. So you know, if you've been listening the last few weeks, you know our aim is to make disciples that make disciples that make the world a better place. So for the last few weeks, we've been working through the intentional disciple-making environment, or what we call the IDE. So as we kick things off, we're going to frame our time by returning to a quick review of the IDE. Before we do, I'm Brian Johnson. I'm Brian Phipps, a fan of Brian Johnson. All right. I like that. Come on now. I can take that. You blushed. That was awesome. I did. <laughs> yeah, I got a fan myself. <laughs> so if you recall, the first two pillars that we covered were outcome-focused and habit-fueled. And we've had some great follow-up interviews with some practitioners who shared their stories about how those two foundational principles affected their lives and, and their disciple-making practices. So the final three pillars are content-flavored, community-forged, and mission-fixated. And we believe that you can, and when you do, apply these pillars to any environment, they will render reproducing and mobilize leaders. So before we get into today's content, just a, a little bit more review. Brian, hit us real quick with the outcomes. What are, what are the outcomes of the IDE? Two primary outcomes of disciple making are character and calling. And if you uh, recall, those are the two primary ways that the Spirit of God changes us. You know, character is the fruit of the Spirit. I'm more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, good, and self-controlled. That's who we're becoming. And then the other outcome is uh, based upon the spiritual gifts that God, the Spirit, deposits into our lives. Gifts like teaching or uh, administration or prayer or healing or prophecy. Whatever the gift is, there's multiple lists of them in the scripture and those kind of indicate primarily what our calling is so the outcomes are about who we're becoming character and what we're doing to participate with god in the building of his mission and that's our calling those are the two outcomes so we have talked about how outcomes are fueled by habits you don't just say we want to focus on character and calling so we got them we're good they are fueled by habits so walk through those habits for us real quick again there's an extensive list of habits if you go all the way through all four of our experiences, but the basic ones that we start with are Bible engagement, which is reading the scripture and journaling. Uh, and the journals that we recommend aren't really, really long, uh, kind of um, diary type things. They're very simple, focused on two questions. Jesus, what are you trying to teach me through what I'm reading in your word today? And then what do you want me to do with what you taught me? And so we, the Bible engagement habit is reading with that response in journaling. And of course, we encourage you to pray through that whole process. Don't just start reading, tick it off, write your journal and move on. Start that whole thing and bathe it in prayer. God's talked to me today. I'm here. I'm yours. I'm your student. I need you to guide me this day. And then share the journals with accountability. That's another habit that we talk about. Have at least two others in your life that are seeing these journals that you are uh, writing so that they can encourage you and challenge you and help you accomplish the things that Jesus is putting on your heart. Uh, serving is another one. Serving in your area of personal calling. What are the top two gifts that God's given you? How are you using them to build the kingdom? We do not wait 
uh, for you to like go through a disciple making thing and then start serving Jesus. <laughs> well, I love to say he never went to the disciples and said, Hey guys, you want to grab a latte and study the Torah? He said, we're going to change the world. Yeah. And he took him up on the mountain. He taught him a little bit. And then he said, you two guys go over here and you, you two go over here and then we'll come back in a week and debrief. So serving along with serving is peer feedback. You want people kind of letting you know what they see in you. We like to get that habit of I see in you uh, developed early in folks so that they are, you know, encouraging one another. And then finally the bless rhythms. I know that those are something that you're very passionate about and lean into uh, with your life in a strong way. We'll get to those. Uh, we talked about those with Rob, begin in prayer, listen, eat, serve, share, how to become effective gospelers, both yeah. to yourself and to others yeah. where you live, work, learn and play so those are the primary habits so we've got outcome focus we've got habit fueled and i just you know the glaring thing that you've left off so far is what workbook we're going through here what's the study brian right (laughs) so that's the big idea for today we're jumping in covering this idea the third pillar which is content flavored so we're gonna to spend today really jumping into that language and saying content is, is actually tertiary, way down the line. It's not at the top where we are. And it's a pretty unique way of talking about content when we say that it's content flavored. And I'm not sure this idea always comes across uh, clearly when you just hear it for the first time in a Western context because for so many of us, all sorts of ideas start running through our head because we have consumed so much content over the years and so much of it feels important i mean there are books i've read that have i feel i say man that book changed my life you got to read this it changed my life um and so to say that it's flavoring doesn't initially feel like it honors what we've gone through um enough maybe but why did you land on that language let's talk about that it's a fantastic question and it needs to be addressed i actually have a a really close friend who is a big proponent of the ide but would not use this phrase because uh, their interpretation of the phrase was you're not giving the bible which is the primary content enough respect and I want everybody to know right up front, I totally believe in the Bible's uh, authority in our life. It is the primary document that governs my life. It teaches me what to believe. It teaches me how to live. And it is in no way inferior to outcomes yeah, yeah, at yeah. all, at all, at all, at all. When Jesus talks about the, and, and because primarily it's that the, the Bible, by the way, is actually more ingrained in the habits than it is in the content yeah. in the way we talk about it. The content right. we often talk about is the supplemental readings, the books that go along with the Bible that's integrated into the habits. Like we talked about uh, Bible engagement. It's the, it's the books, it's the content, it's the curriculum, it's the workbook that have been the king that's right. for so long. And here's what I mean. A lot of people, when they consider going to a small group, they ask the question, what are you studying? They're not asking the question, how will I be different when this experience is over? I see a lot of articles these days about, you know, information can't transform. It can only inform. Well, if that's the case, then we really need to change things on a paradigm level when it comes to disciple making. That's why I said this is outcome focused and it is content flavored. Now here's where content flavored is really, really important to understand. Different people are at different places along their spiritual journey 
and they need content that makes sense for addressing the phase that they're in. For example, I hang out pretty regularly with guys that are atheists. I want to engage them with the gospel of Jesus. They're not going to join me in, in going through a study on Romans. Right. They're not going to join me in doing a study on systematic theology. Yeah. Does that mean Romans and systematic theology aren't important? No, they both radically changed my life. Yeah. And I use those when I'm trying to develop leaders and influencers in the kingdom of God. But these guys aren't even seeking Jesus yet. Right. I need to use a different method, different content. At one point, I believe that they're going to be I'm curious about the things of faith and I'm going to use alpha. Mm-hmm. It's a great curriculum. It's somebody else's, you know, work that disciples made really, I, I personally uh, love what they do. That's, I can't improve on it. It's incredible. And I'm going to invite those guys through it. Just like I'm taking my sons through that uh, alpha program right now. But beginners the people that are just exploring the things of faith, they need that kind of thing. But people that are really at the place where they need to learn to influence alpha is not the right content for them to go through right it's helpful and it can be encouraging but they do need systematic theology they knew they do need books on leadership they need books on how to practically lead so content just for me means uh there's different things that people need at different times give them the right thing that they need at the time one more point to make brian before we move on even jesus when he talks about the scripture teaches as if the scripture isn't the end but it's the means to the end. I'll say that one more time. He talks about scripture, not as the end, but as the means to the end. Two scriptures stand out for me when Jesus talks. He says, it's for freedom. No, Paul says it's for freedom that you've been set free. He says, the truth will set you free. I have come that you might be free and the truth will set you free. And it's, okay, well, truth is critical to freedom. That's right. It's a means to finding freedom. But the point is freedom. How will I be different? I'll be free. How do I get free? I learn the truth in order to become free. I don't learn the truth just to learn the truth. Right. Yeah. I learn the truth in order to become something. In John chapter 17, in the great high priestly prayer, Jesus is praying to the Father and he says, Father, your word is truth. Sanctify them by your truth. The truth is absolutely critical. It's the means to the end, but the end wasn't for them to know the truth. It was for them to be changed or sanctified by the truth. Yeah, I know you've mentioned this a little bit. Uh, Just one of those key phrases that was really helpful for me in kind of framing this was hearing that content is not bad. It's just no longer king. Right. And we need to dethrone the importance of content in our disciple-making practices. That phrase was, like I said, just really helpful in understanding how to balance the importance of content while shifting it from the focus to the flavoring. So yeah, it's the, still on the short list. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Three sure. things in the IDE and it's right there. Absolutely. So if DMC's content as flavored, what do other people see it as? And I know we've kind of talked about that a little bit, um, but let's go a little bit further. They are content focused. Yeah. Generally. In fact, if you were listening in on um, episode four, we had Patty Bowie and Daryl Robinson, two of our advocates on the podcast. And Patty talked over and over about the limitations in her life when um, her approach to disciple making and her church's approach to disciple making was entirely content focused. We're going to do a Bible study. We're going to do a, you know, a book study. We're going to learn more. Yeah. To what end? If you ask that question of those people, they would say, well, 
this is what we do. Yeah. I mean, we have entire organizations that are all about like offering the next piece of content to yeah. consume. Yeah. And you hear the phrase over and over again from people, we are educated far beyond our obedience. Yeah. And that's a really scary thing if you think about it. I mean, you giggled and, and I giggle too, but if you think about it, take note of the gap that happens in your soul when what you know is is way more than who you've become. Mm-hmm. So I go in every Sunday, I hear a new message of what my life can be like or should be like. And then I realize more and more, I, 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 I know more of who I could be, but I realize that I'm still way back here. If you could see my hands right now, there, there's a big gap between who I am and who I know I should be. And in the middle of that is a sense of guilt or a sense I've missed the boat. I'm not where everybody else is. And it's discouraging and it can become a spiral that actually gets in the way of our transformation because we feel like, ah, yeah. I'm just a fake. I can't get there. It's, it's, a, it's a mess to be content focused. Yeah, I think like the elephant in the room seems to be if we're content focused, we're not going to see reproducing disciple making fruit that we want to see. We're going to have people that know a lot of information, like you said, but that doesn't mean anything will be different. And the thought that jumps in my head is it may produce dangerous results. It'll produce teachers at best. Yeah. Because we have really heralded the teacher role and we'll minimize the the reproduction of people that are geared with other gifts. Well, if I don't teach, then I must not be a Christian influencer. Yeah. We have, we've modeled that only teachers lead, therefore limiting a vast majority of people as seeing themselves as Christian influencers. And you're right. We could be putting people of low character up in those positions if we're not focused on the transformation, the outcomes of character and calling. Yeah, and like you said too, the the other side of the dangerous result is just the crushing weight of, I've got these things and nothing is different. Why should I continue? I wanna see differences in my life, but I'm not seeing it because I'm just focused on reading the next thing, watching the next thing. And my soul feels weighted down with all these things. And I need, I need outcomes fueled by habits to take me to the next place. I think that's what one of the reasons, Brian, quite honestly, we're seeing so many people in the following generations kind of just bail out. Mm-hmm. It's just, I'm not seeing the, 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 the results that you're promising by doing the things that you're saying, you know, and, and, and that's a, yeah, I want that to be very different. That's, that's not a new problem. We're seeing generational drop off. And I think it's because they don't see the value in it because we're focused on what you know. Yeah, I've, I've heard you say, becoming. you know, it's like if if content could do it, we <laughs> could have changed the world five times over. Oh, yeah, because we've got the best content everywhere. We can now deliver it via every type of social media and Internet and satellite TV and I could, radio. I could and, nearly write a book today and publish it. <laughs> you, you literally can. You know, on the same day. <laughs> I don't know. It wouldn't be any good. But my point is like the speed at which we can create content now yeah. and deliver it to people is, you know, I just heard yesterday the, the amount of content that we produce and consume um, today is more than all of the information between like the dawn of history in 2003 or something like we're, we just continue to produce, produce, produce. So it's hard not to keep it focused when everything in our culture is trying to put content in front of us, more content. Oh, without in front a doubt. Of us. It's, it's the standard operating procedure in, um, in disciple making, just get better content, make it look more attractive, etc. 
but it's going to have the same the same result. Well, let me, let me ask you. I mean, you, you mentioned this earlier, Brian. Uh, what did you think when you first heard that term, content flavored? Did that kind of unsettle you a little bit? Did it intrigue you? I mean, yeah, I remember I was sitting in a room in Auburn, Alabama, when you drew it on a whiteboard. Which that's like my heart language is the whiteboard. Oh, the so, whiteboard. Yeah, <laughs> I think I did some mental cartwheels trying to reframe my own disciple making journey with with this new language that really helped explain why I wasn't always being transformed into the image of Jesus that I know He wanted for me. It it explained why the lives of the people in my life weren't shifting towards Jesus after they read the books that mm-hmm. I read. You know, here read this book; it'll change your life because it changed mine. So it was just a reframing and helping explain. I've just been delivering content to people and never asking obedience from them Hmm. or obedience from myself. And now I would say in in more of like the informal disciple-making pathways, I think about offering certain content, whether that's a podcast or book or website or some tool based on my relationship to that person. So even outside of the formal disciple-making experiences that we offer with Disciples Made, you know, we we have intentionally placed content in those experiences. There's there's books that are, are a part of, um, of flavoring those experiences. But in the informal making, disciple making of everyday life, you know, I'm asking the question, how's this going to support their character and calling? Is it the right time? Is this essential to character and calling in their current pathway of development? So it helps me actually edit, I think, what I'm offering. (laughs) I love it. Kind of what you're saying um, is the heart of Stephen Covey's book, you know, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, begin with the end in mind. Yeah. Well, what's the end we're looking for? Character and calling. Okay, then how does this content serve to get us there? Now your content is much more intentional than just it was special to me. I hope it's special to you. Yeah, that's right. I love it. So how about this question, Brian? I know for some people um, there is this, this is a genuine question. We've addressed it a little bit already, but people might be wrestling with this question. I'll phrase it this way. What do you think about the idea that the Bible should be our only content? So rather than anything else, we should just go to the Bible. I really appreciate the heart that somebody like that would, you know, posture that question because that is a commitment to the authority of Scripture. It's a commitment to the necessity of Scripture and all those. And so I absolutely love that. So I'll just start by saying two couple things. One, it's the only essential content that we have to have. If you have every book in the world and you've just neglected the Bible as one of those sources, you've totally missed out on what Jesus and God have, uh, you know, have provided and preserved throughout the generations. They inspired these people. They've preserved the documents in a miraculous way. It's certainly the only essential content. The second thing is it's the only truly authoritative content. God has chosen to use his his word, his Bible to speak into our lives. What is, I think is the passage in Hebrews that says it, it just divides bone and marrow and, and really gets down and separates our motives and helps us to see ourselves. It's like an x-ray on our own soul. So it's authoritative for what we're to believe and how we are to live. But I would not say that it's the only meaningful 
content. Yeah, that's it's good. It's the only essential content. It's the only truly authoritative content, but it's not the only meaningful content. When I was in seminary and going through kind of an introduction to systematic theology, I learned that there's kind of a triangle of influence. Like when you're reading scripture, you need to be able to read the scripture with the influence of the the church patriarchs, the, not the patriarchs, but the 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 people of great influence throughout the ages. Yeah, yeah. You know, they bring a lot of wisdom to bear across the uh, centuries about how to engage scripture in a way that's proper and meaningful and appropriate. But there's also your present uh, contemporary folks. Like how is the scripture being read and interpreted right now? Don't just do the fathers. That was forever ago, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And don't just do your present community because they could be, you know, completely out of whack throughout the rest of the generations. But don't just have two of those uh, influences. Also have what is the work that God's spirit is doing in you personally? So I saw a lot of wisdom in not just trusting on my own interpretation of scripture, my interpretation of scripture along with the present community of what's happening with scripture in the in our in the states and in the world right now but also uh, have that influenced by those that have come before and to me you have to have other content in order to get that balance otherwise you're left just with your own interpretation and per- i don't trust me Right. I've got a couple of master's degrees in this stuff and I don't trust me. So I really do want uh, other content to help me understand and best apply the scripture. Yeah. And I would say even in scripture, we see some of the authors using outside material as if it contains some truth and points to God. So there's even this precedent within scripture that we find truth beyond just what's printed right there on the page that makes up our Bible. So without a doubt. Yeah, we've got that going. So let's get practical about our formal experiences with Disciples Made. So I mentioned earlier that we have informal disciple making. We do this in the everyday stuff of life with the people that are in our relational spheres. But there are also formal disciple making experiences that we offer with DM. There's followers made, leaders made, missionaries made, and the microchurch learning community. So let's talk about the content that flavors DM's experiences. Well, the first thing I want to tell you is that if you choose to go through a followers made, or if you actually have been through one, there's probably one book in there you won't like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of an odd way, you know, to, uh, to talk about, uh, your stuff, but here's the deal. We don't want in disciples made to tell people what to think, right? We want to help people learn how to think. And to do that, you have to put a uh, content in front of people that, really doesn't agree with itself. We like to we like to call this cognitive tension. So let me ask you a question, Brian. Um, does God love you no matter what, or does he expect you to be holy? Yes. <laughs> well, you know the answer to that. But it's a really important question for people to consider. Does right. God love you no matter what? Yes, he does. That's the gospel. He loves us and he invites us. But it all, the scripture also says, be holy as I am holy. I mean, the whole purpose of which I saved you and loved you was so that you could become more than you currently are. Well, in the Christian traditions that in, the, in America in particular, and this is probably worldwide as well, there's a lot of traditions that say, be holy and don't ever talk about his love. There's some that talk about his love and never talk about the opportunity to be made holy. 
I call that the Outback Church. No rules. Just right. If you remember that old <laughs> Outback Steakhouse uh, commercial. And both of those are extraordinarily dangerous. Hmm. So in Followers Made, we have you read a great book about the gospel as a whole called The Prodigal God by Tim Keller. It's, it's brilliant. It focuses, it's, it's one of the top five books I've ever read in my life. Talks about the story of the prodigal sons. This book changed my life. It really did. You need to read it. <laughs> it really, it's it, it's fascinating. But at the same time, I don't want people to just hear the great news about the gospel as it relates to the story of the prodigal sons. I want them to hear from another author, Jerry Bridges, led a helped lead a phenomenal ministry called The Navigators. Uh, he wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness a number of years ago. Rat, again, had a radical impact upon my life because I grew up more in the God loves you no matter what right. area. Um, and uh, so I needed that kind of kick. And I remember writing in the margins of that book a number of years ago, well, I stink at that. I'll, I'll never be this. I've, oh my gosh, I can't. I don't even like that. That's, that's dumb. Yeah. But that book changed how I came to God. Mm-hmm. And I started to see pretty radical growth in my life with that. So which one of those books do people need? Both. Both. And what I love about it is when they read The Prodigal God and then they go back and they read The Pursuit of Holiness, they're dealing with those tensions. Which right. one is this? And you really learn uh, over time that you need to have both of those in your head at all times in order to grow. There are days I need to remember God loves me in spite of the stupid thing I did last night. Right. And there are some days I need to remember that I can't be complacent and just live where I am. He's invited me to more. And I want people to live with both of those in their head and for God in his relationship with them through the Bible engagement habit that we talked about in a previous episode to tell me which one of those pills I need to take that day. Right, right. So that's FM. Those are two of the the pieces of content that would flavor that. Let's talk about LM because Leaders Made moves it beyond uh, just this, the the character and calling. I'm growing in these spiritual habits and rhythms. Now we're talking about leadership. So what, what about the content in that experience? Yeah, in that, in that one, I just wanted to approach leadership from kind of five different angles. There's a lot of talk these days about self-awareness tests, whether it's the Enneagram or you know Myers-Briggs or DISC or all these other ones. Basically, what we learn with those self-evaluations tests is that the different personalities uh, have people approach things like leadership in a variety of ways like a more um, shepherdy type of person if you're talking about, you know, APEST or if you're talking about spiritual gifts. Their leadership is just taking care of people. Apostles really don't care much about people. They just want to get a job done. They're more task-oriented. So if you start to think, you know, how should I then train people in leadership? I want them to be um, influenced by authors that hit leadership from a variety of different perspectives. And the first one uh, that we want people to uh, deal with is what are the biblical standards of leadership? Oswald Sanders wrote a great book called Spiritual Leadership that talks about biblical leadership. We want them to have practical leadership influence. Think about systems. How do you approach ministry as a whole from a very practical angle? We use Andy Stanley's book, Seven Practices of Effective Ministry for that. Highly influenced by Covey's book, you know, you know, begin with the end in mind. Very, very practical, practical book. We want people to approach leadership from an incarnational perspective. And I don't know anybody that's done it better than our, our friend, Hugh Halter, 
He wrote the book Flesh, talks about how he has become incarnational because in his leadership because of just the, the dynamics with his personal life. I want people to approach leadership from a devotional perspective, more of a mystical approach. And Henri Nouwen's book, In the Name of Jesus, talks about having a prayer life surrendered uh, to God in his throne room, just hearing over and over, do you love me? Do you love me? I mean, devotional perspective. Uh, then theological leadership as well. I think everybody needs a grounding in theology. And so we we actually use a, a, a book in, in, in the original version of Leaders Made uh, Bible Doctrine by Wayne Grudem. And it's really tough when you're picking a, you know, a theology book because there's different camps that people are really uh, tied to. And what we've chosen to do is not get into some of the nuances of theology, but give a general theology. Who is God? Who is Jesus? What is systematic theology? What is it? How does it help us get more of a mastery on the biblical story? So we put all those together in one thing. And here's what's kind of funny, Brian. People gravitate to their favorite author based upon their spiritual makeup. That's right. Shepherds tend to lean on now one. Yeah. You know, the apostles tend to lead towards Stanley. Yeah. Or, you know, Hugh Halter and flesh. And it's kind of funny. People, uh, kind of develop little subgroups in any group I've ever had before based upon authors. And we actually joke about having a group hug. We got the now and folks that want to have a group hug and the apostles want to go take Stanley and go take something by storm. So it's kind of fun for people to learn about themselves as they react to the different authors. Yeah. We tell people lean into the one that you're the least comfortable with. That's good to grow. In the microchurch learning community, we use Pagan Christianity by Frank Viola and George Barna just to do some deconstructing of the way people have seen uh, the church paradigm that they've they've come from or that they lived in. We use videos from Forge and Soma and Verge. These are great organizations who have been curating and creating content for years on the missional front. And that's something unique about us as well. You know we pull from a lot of theological streams, a lot of different camps, so to speak. So that's something to note, that we're connected to a lot of different churches, a lot of different theological streams have you received pushback from people on what we use when you think about you know we're pushing Hugh over here but his theological leanings or his ideas might not go so well with somebody from this other angle (laughs) without a doubt but before I answer that uh, directly on some of the pushback that we've received I just uh, had a conversation this morning in my leaders made class there's a guy in it that just started his master's work And he was commenting on how different master's level education was than a bachelor's level education. He said, when I read my books at a bachelor's level, I was supposed to, or the kind of the unspoken rule was read these books, absorb what they have to say, agree with them, spit them back out on a test and then go do what they said. Master's level, he said, is taken in by surprise because they want you to read books that they don't even necessarily agree with and they want you to process it, let it hit your system, process it, kick back, argue with it, process it. That's how you grow at a master's level. That's how you get a mastery of a given topic. And it it helped me kind of see how the, the master's level education I received has had an influence on this. We don't want to feed you books that just tell you what to do. Earlier I said, we don't want to tell you what to think. We want to teach you how to think. So we're going to put books in there that 
we know are intentionally provocative because we believe that we're creating leaders. These aren't just entry level things for folks. These are leaders. We want you to process challenging things. Even the the networks that you talked about don't even agree with one another. Verge yeah. and Vanderstow. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're comrades. They're all doing similar things, but they don't even you know, agree with each other on, on a lot of different things. So a couple of examples of, of what have happened. Um, pursuit of holiness. I mentioned that earlier by, by Jerry Bridges. There are people that just will not let their people read that book. Hmm. They love the Bible reading and the engagement and the accountability and all the stuff on the apps and they love the other books, but they say that is legalistic righteousness stuff. I mean, even Jerry Bridges had to write a book soon after that called Transforming Grace to make up for the lack of grace that he that he put in that book. But they're like, we're not going to do it. I came from a, a holiness tradition where holiness and legalistic righteousness was, the, was everything. They just refused to do it. And so I, I get that. That's hard. As you mentioned, uh, the book Flesh uh, talks about, you know, Hugh Halter talks about the pub that he had in his house and putting on parties. Well, there's an awful lot of people that see any type of lifestyle that would involve um, a party, uh, the implications of that, alcohol when it comes with pubs. That's moralistically, if you have a a worldview that that that's not biblical, then you're going to have difficulty with that. We've had people that just refuse to... um, use the book flesh, uh, for that, for that purpose. And, and I, my encouragement to everybody is to not approach these books as if you should believe everything they have, have that master's level education mindset, read it, chew on it, talk back about the things that don't make sense to you process it because you'll be better on the other side. All right, Brian. So any final thoughts before we kind of wrap this up? and frame uh frame this last uh, or this third pillar of the ide sorry i was just trying to give you like a segue to go back to anything i've got a little ending piece here but i think we should keep that right there because that's like real oh yeah (laughs) we're making a podcast (laughs) right here and we got awkward and brian wanted to rescue that (laughs) that's part of our shenanigans i was actually just just thinking about this you know I would consider myself, um, my daughter would consider me this too, and she's in the room, so she can hear me say this out loud. She would not consider me somebody that changes his mind quickly. She would probably consider me stubborn. I know you probably can't hear her voice really loud, but would you agree with that, Hannah? Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty, can be stubborn. Um, I say all that just to give you a little bit of context. There are things that I truly had deep convictions of 10 years ago that I don't have today. Hmm. I don't disagree with 10 years ago me. (laughs) Or I disagree with 10 years ago me. I disagree with five years ago me. And it doesn't mean I'm wishy-washy. It's just that there was new evidence that I read that made sense, more sense than what I had believed to be true earlier. And, and so if that's the case, I just really want to encourage folks to be more open uh, to a, a broader aperture that in that regard when coming to books like this. So one of the reasons this is so critical is that we have seen through the centuries that content really can be a source of division. Jesus said in his great high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. It's, it's, it's your love for one another. It's your unity that will demonstrate that you are my disciples. And uh, you don't have to look far to see that 
that Christians don't get along on a lot of different things. And it's usually about propositions. Yeah. Statements, you know, theological statements, theological positions. And it's really hard. I mean, we were almost trained in school to think one way and to avoid being around people that think another way. Well, think of the implications that that has right now. I'm a white guy. I'm 52 years old. I grew up in a situation where there were a lot of African-Americans, my friends. So I've grown up in this perspective of I'm not racist, right? So, uh, and, and, and nobody can, I don't think anybody should fault me for that. I haven't had particular things, but I, until recently I hadn't heard things like, well, if you're not anti-racist, you're racist. Well, that was originally not very helpful for me to hear. But I love the fact that this whole, to go back to the master's level thing, don't just stay in your echo chamber and hear everything that you need to hear to feel good about the set of propositions that you've come to accept as true. Step into another viewpoint. Learn from that. If it's not good, dismiss it. If it's good, keep moving with it and allow it to shape you. It's kind of like plaster of Paris. You don't want to be... um, powder and have no form, but you also don't want to have been, you know, water put on the plaster of Paris and you're just a concrete block that can never change. Right. You know, be the plaster of Paris that's got a great form, but has a, a a wet towel over it so that you continue to, to shape that and make it more beautiful as time goes on. This whole conversation has taught me that there's a ton I never knew about racism in America, and I'm learning to take steps toward more anti-racial position than before. You know, the conversation that we had with Rob a couple of episodes back is so critical. His life is shaping my life. Literature that he's exposing me to is shaping my thing. If, If I had this position where I'm not open to learning, then I've stopped growing. Yeah, and I... I I so agree with everything you're saying. We can always find people that agree with what we're saying and just stay in that cycle. And it's so important to to move towards what is uncomfortable. And it, like you said, just learn from it. Sit in it. And ultimately, the decision of whether or not we toss it or keep it is, is it moving me towards character and calling? Like, is it increasing those? I mean, you step into a, a conversation or an idea, like one of the books that we have, and it's like, I don't, I don't want to do Pursuit of Holiness because it's, it's this self-righteous thing, moralistic, it's legalistic, whatever it is. I don't want to do that. Well, give it a shot. Step into it. And if your character increases, maybe you should pay attention to that some more. <laughs> you know, and that's the way that we can evaluate whether content is helpful or unhelpful. Without a doubt, you know, the proof's in the pudding. And the more open I am, the more loving I am and the less divisive content can be as I move toward other people and hear them. A lot of people just want to be heard. Yeah. So this kind of went in a little bit different direction than anticipated, but I think it's pretty critical to realize we don't know everything yet. We hope that what you heard today was an encouragement to you or that it increased your curiosity in making disciples that make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our experiences or set up a coaching call, you can visit us at disciplesmade.com or email podcast at disciplesmade.com. Two different, two different genres of music. That's yeah. kept me hanging around. Shh.
Normal voices. Do we have to use our inside voices now? Yep. Come on. 